Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by one of the usual suspects and a special guest. First, we have the head honcho of the VT Scoop page, Evan Watkins. How you doing, bro? Oh, another day. About 12 hours from vacation for me, so I'm, I'm, I'm grinding away. And our special guest today is National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan with 24-7 Sports. Brian, pleasure to have you on. How are you today, sir? Uh, I'm doing well, but I got to be honest. I thought Evan's whole life was a vacation, so I'm guessing he's taking a vacation from his vacation. It's like a vacation inception. uh, (laughs) Somebody has to be able to do it. That's true. That's true. I mean, you got Matei and Doug slaving away, or, or lack thereof, but I guess they'll hold Even down the Ma- fort. <laughs> Matei's in the country right now, but but I can always count on Doug. He's the the reliable, and you know we had to had to go out and hire a new writer today, none other than you yourself, Andrew <laughs> Alex. So welcome to the job. I'm gonna take a few days off. <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking, Evan, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to post your cell number on the board, so if anybody has questions for you during vacation, they can just call you. Do the same thing when kids ask me if I can, uh, if, if I can get them ranked. I'll just, I'll just start posting your number out there. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy vacation. I'll keep it quiet for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> A good transition in, because Brian has been covering recruiting if in – the Northeast part of the United States for the better part of a few decades. I'm assuming that means you have a decent amount of experience with Brent Pry, obviously Pry with a decade of experience at Penn state prior to coming to Virginia tech and taking on the head coaching job. So my question for you, Brian, from what you've seen from Brent Pry, the type of guy that he recruits, What's Brent Pry's perfect prototype recruit look like? Really good and talented. <laughs> um, you know, listen, it's it. You know, Brent was with with James Franklin at Vandy. He was with him at Penn State for a long time, and I, I think you know, you really looked and saw what he could do on the defensive side and, and kind of what they wanted body type, position wise, stuff like that. And you know, he he wants his linebackers long and and you know, I don't want to say lean, but but guys that they can really develop in the strength room. Um, interior guys, he wants them to have some length and also, obviously, low center of gravity, but just just have some uh, lower body strength to where they can they can really hold the line at the point of attack, especially the interior guys. They want guys on the edge who can really get up the field and and around the edge and pressure the quarterback, and and they want their safeties and and their corners to really be able to run and, and they're going to ask their safeties to cover a little bit. Um, but listen, when you're recruiting to, to Penn state and kind of where Virginia tech is right now, it is a bit different. Um, I think that's going to be the challenge for Brent Pry, And I always look at it. Um, you know, when, when 
places like tech get a get a commit from somebody or they sign somebody or a is it an upgrade from what they have in the program and b what what's the ceiling and not just in terms of you know i think a lot of times fans are going to look at geez this player you know he didn't have a ton of offers he didn't have this or you know this is what he did now listen when you're talking about recruiting for the most part you're talking about where these kids are going to be in two to three years after being in your program and so i think pry is just going to i mean him and his staff are really going to have to dig hard in what looks to be not a great year in state and really uncover some gems and then just develop them but i, I think you know, the, the short answer, he wants length and he wants athleticism on the defensive side. And on the offensive side, he, he's got to get some, some skilled players and he, he's got to get the quarterback situation set. Brian, I want to add on there a little bit, too, with Brent Pride being at Penn State, you obviously covering that area and everything. Give us a story about Micah Parson. He's been big on the Virginia Tech site recently because Brent Pry always talks about him shouted him out after uh, winning some awards. Micah Parsons said, I'm coming to Blacksburg, go Hokies. So, you know, people have kind of grown a little fond of him. Give me a story from the road. You know, what's something that stood out to you? Obviously, he's, he's super talented, but what's something maybe people don't know? <laughs> oh, boy, where to start? Well, I'll give you two quick ones. One, you know, he was committed to Penn State. There was a lot of talk he was going to go to Ohio State. He decommitted, got a dog, and he named his dog Brutus, <laughs> all right? So we all know, you know, Ohio State, you know, Brutus the Buckeye wound up going to Penn State anyway. But I, I think, you know, that was just Mike, and it tells you what his personality is. And he's always been a, a one of those bigger-than-life personality kids. Um, I remember talking to him, I think it was his freshman year of high school, and he's already getting offers, and you knew he was going to be a really good kid. And I'm like, you know what are you thinking with all this recruiting stuff? And I remember him just laughing going, man, I got to really start taking school more seriously. I, I didn't really give a lot of thought to it, but now I really have to. So the playful side and then, you know, the on the field stuff, I will never forget being at a place called uh, spooky nook in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, right before you get to kind of Harrisburg area and he's at a seven on seven and he's playing tight end and doing well decides I'm going to go play receiver, does well there, plays some linebacker, obviously does well, and then goes and lines up a cornerback and just starts shutting down people playing cornerback. And this was as he was heading, you know, between his junior and senior year of high school. So he was already, you know, 6'2", 230, whatever it was, just out there mauling people as a cornerback at this thing. And and I remember shooting video, and that, that was back in the, the you know, before – 24 seven bought scout. So it was, it was back in the scout days, but I remember putting up the video and it was just, I, I just, it was unbelievable to me to see a guy that size and that agile. And so, I mean, when he went to Penn state, yeah, you, I mean, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. And with the Cowboys, I mean, he's that much of a freak athlete. So Micah Parsons is obviously the name that comes to mind when we talk about the great success stories for Brent Pry on the recruiting trail because he did secure Micah Parsons. But obviously with Virginia Tech, there is sort of a requirement to be that developmental program. Are, are there any specific success stories that you can point out of Brent Pry bringing in a, a, a lesser talented guy, perhaps making a great evaluation and coaching the kid up. And they ended up as an extremely successful player for Penn state and perhaps even ending up in the league. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them, but I, I think it's really important to point out that, you know, Micah Parsons was really talented, but he still had to be used right and he still had to develop. And so that goes on to the coaching staff as well. Um, and, and I know what you're saying, you know, maybe guys that weren't so gifted physically, you know, and natural talent. And so I get that. But look, you got to develop everybody. And, and so you can sit there and say, Jason Awe, who's now with the Baltimore Ravens, is a kid that he was a basketball player from, you know, Blair Academy in North Jersey. Uh, he went up and he played football for two years turned into a first round draft pick coming out of Penn state. And he was a guy that really needed to learn how to, just, you know, how to play the game. I mean, and, and so they taught him that, but I mean, you can just go down the list of, of guys that, you know, have made it to the NFL um, or, or just had successful careers. I mean, it, you, a, when you're going to Penn state, usually you're pretty talented. Right. So you're going to get a lot of talented kids. And even, you know, we talk about maybe some some guys who may not be the high four stars with Virginia Tech or, you know, whoever, what pick whatever school you want. I mean, look, man, those guys are still really good players. They're still top one, two percent of the high school players in the country. So then it's a matter of putting them in the right position. I mean, when, when and I know that when Frank Beamer was there, they you know, I have I have family that lives um, in Salem. So, you know, they went to tech. So I, I've been versed in Virginia Tech since early in Frank Beamer's tenure. And they, you know, were talking about maybe running them out before they beat Boston College at home. And I think a Thursday night that kind of really jump started their program. I mean, you have to develop them. And what Brent Pry needs to do at Virginia Tech is maybe these kids aren't ready to play their first or second year when they get on campus or play big roles. But by the third year, he still has to develop them, and that staff still has to develop them. They still have to go out and compete and get kids in recruiting. And I think that's one of the things I'm excited to see with Tech is just how hard are they now willing to compete in recruiting because they weren't before. With, you know, looking at what they, they had, uh, obviously Frank Beamer, then Justin Fuente, and now Brent Pry. were you surprised when Brent Pry got the gig at Virginia Tech and, and kind of – what do you think he brings to the table maybe that other people don't? Well, I, I wasn't surprised um, because he has, he has some ties to Virginia Tech, right? And he has some ties with Bud Foster, correct? And so th those are kind of, I mean, if you, if you talk about Tech and, and when they, they had it rolling, I mean, you're talking about Beamer and Bud Foster working together. Doesn't surprise me. He knows the region well. He knows what it takes to win at Virginia Tech. Um, and, and I think one thing that if I'm, if I'm Brent Pryor, if I'm a Virginia Tech fan, the one thing I'm going to hang my hat on with him being the head coach is he's going to work hard. And he's going to work hard on game plans, on building the program, and he's going to work hard in recruiting. Because one thing Penn State did that really gets overlooked is they work hard at recruiting. And James Franklin, when he was an assistant at Maryland, worked really hard at recruiting. You look at what they did at Vanderbilt, and Brent was part of the, the you know, what they did at Vandy to get James the job at Penn State. They worked hard at recruiting. And so, you know, it's really easy to sit there and say, oh, Penn State got this kid because they're Penn State. But 
they work really hard at recruiting and they are incredible at building relationships with the kids and with the families. And so you have Brent at Virginia Tech and then you have his OC Tyler Bowen, who's a really good recruiter when he was at Penn State. And I know coordinators don't recruit as much as position coaches, but Tyler will still be heavily involved. And he'll be, you know, and he knows the the DMV, you know, Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland area really well. And so he has ties there. And and I just feel like what I want to see and and what I feel like is they are going to be more involved with a lot of kids from talent-rich areas. And I felt like in the past under Fuente, it was more we'll take who we can get. So before we look forward, I do want to look back for one more second. Justin Fuente inherits this program. And for the first couple of recruiting classes, you look at 2017, uh, 2018, 2019, those were decent showings on the trail. That was at least kind of around the standard of what Virginia Tech had come to expect. And then suddenly it kind of went all the way down the drain. Virginia Tech fans will will begrudgingly remember how poor the 2020 class was, I believe, ranked last in Power 5. And then you saw a slight improvement in 2021, but not much. What went wrong there for the Fuente regime, and what lessons can the new coaching administration learn from the the downfall on the recruiting trail for Justin Fuente and his staff? Well, I I think it's two things, and I don't think the new staff can learn anything from it because you should have already known it. And that's, you have to compete in recruiting and you can't talk yourself into thinking somebody is better than they are just because you can get them. And then, and I don't have it right in front of me right now. Um, just, there was a year where I think they signed one kid from Virginia. I mean, <laughs> you're Virginia Tech. You used to live, and I get that the five, the 757 may not have the deep talent that it had 10 years ago and, and all that stuff is cyclical, but you're Virginia tech. You, you made, you know, you built your program on a lot of things, but what was really identifiable was your ability to recruit the tidewater area. And then you just became pretty much non-existent. Didn't work at relationships, burned relationships. Um, it, you know, just so many things went wrong. I mean, you got to recruit your home state. I don't care. You know, you go look at Alabama. You go look at anyone. You go look anywhere across the country. The best programs recruit their home state. And I get Bama can recruit everywhere and Clemson can recruit everywhere. But I'll tell you what, you turn around and look. Go look at what Clemson did in the 22 class inside the state of South Carolina. There weren't a ton of kids. But they got the best ones. And I'm not saying Tech has to go get the best ones, and they're already behind the eight ball with what Penn State's doing in the in the 23 class. And, and that's a, a different topic that I'm sure we'll hit on. But this new staff, I mean, just go do what Virginia Tech is supposed to do, recruit hard, compete in recruiting, and actually know where your prospects are within your home state. Yeah, I think uh, I think you know before we hit on where Virginia Tech is with the 23s, I, I like to look at what they did at the end of 22. You lose Ramon Brown, you lose Alex Orji. I mean, I, I, those were those were big hits. You can't really look past those. But they did 
Flip Brody Meadows, you get Keyshawn Burgos from flipping from from UVA. Add Hunter McLean, which Brian, me and you have had conversations offline about that. You know, I think he's probably going to outplay his ranking. You know, he's a he's a decent a decent looking prospect. Uh, you know, Xavier Bradshaw. So they did come in and add some key pieces and keep the class together. Guys like keeping Gunner Givens in the fold. How do you think that they? You know, from what you've heard on the trail, how they approached keeping the 22 class the way it was and adding a couple of key pieces, especially those in-state flips from, uh, from Virginia. Yeah, I, I think a couple things. Um, and, and it's a great point because it kind of shows that they said, okay, we need to get some of these kids in the state. And again, they may not be Andre Green and George Petaway and Zach Rice, but you know, Gunnar Givens is highly rated who I think could be a really good player. Um, and you look at Meadows, who for a long time wanted to go to Tech, and they just weren't interested with the old staff. And Bradshaw, you know, Bradshaw was, he was going to Vandy until Tech came in late and got him after Pry was hired. Um, I, I think you bring up great points with that stuff, and, and Burgos as well with, with UVA. Virginia Tech capitalized in some instances on UVA uh, let's just call it struggling with their coaching search. I think that's a good way to put it. But so, so Virginia Tech was aggressive and identified kids that can help with their program. And listen, if you're Virginia Tech, that's how you do it. You, you start go getting maybe not the top five kids. You know, I, I know Gunner was ranked high, but, but you, you know, if you're Tech, hit on five through 15, you know, get five or six of those kids and you'll start upgrading the talent and, and then you'll start getting, you know, some warm fuzzies within the state again about the Hokies. But yeah, I, I think when you look at what they, how they approached it and said, okay, these are local kids or in-state kids who will have a base knowledge of Virginia tech. And now let's just show them what we plan on doing here. I, I think it was a really good job of closing in a really tough situation because a coaching change with this new early signing period, it is really hard to put together a good class. And, and I give I give Pry and, and the guys in the recruiting office who, who often go unsung, I give them a ton of credit for just being able to hold everything together. So you mentioned Brent Pry having to overcome some of the burnt relationships that Justin Fuente and his staff may have had down the road, you know, as that tenure proceeded you know you see this staff and they're working hard on the trail over the course of really the last few weeks going to different virginia high schools meeting with the coaches meeting with the power brokers in the region is that going to be enough how quickly can virginia tech undo the damage that's done and do you think that there are people out there you know powerful people in the world of virginia high school football that's just gonna hold what fuente and his staff did against the virginia tech program indefinitely regardless of the man at the helm is no it doesn't work like that i mean first of all that pry and the staff went out and met with the power brokers and all that other stuff does that i mean that's what they should do i mean that's what that's what every coach is doing his home state across the country and so is that going to be the difference no, because that's what you should be doing. Um, and, and so that's key. As far as, you know, Fuente with, with burning the bridge, you know, or burning the relationships, I mean, that should help Pry because 
these coaches are going to be thrilled to see the in-state, you know, to see the Virginia Tech coach actually interested in their kids again. So it's going to help from that standpoint. Um, you know, I look at West Virginia when Neil Brown, you know, got the job there and Dana Holgerson, nobody, you know, he didn't go anywhere in West Virginia. So when Neil Brown got the job and made West Virginia a priority, it really, it, it really made waves inside the state with, with some of the coaches wanting to send kids to West Virginia. But at the end of the day, you still, you know, that's only the beginning that gets you in the door. It's everything else that then becomes part of the recruiting process. Um, you know, I think there's always going to be coaches that like a school, high school coaches that like a school and high school coaches that aren't going to be helpful. You're, you're going to get that, especially in a state like Virginia, where you have two ACC schools where you're going to have some coach with an allegiance to Virginia, just like you're going to have a coach with an allegiance to Virginia Tech, right? And so one coach may, be, may talk up Virginia Tech more, one coach may talk up Virginia more. The key for a place like Tech or, or even UVA is, is to get beyond that, to minimize that impact in some instances, and then just be able to go out and recruit. And, and going out to see these coaches and meet with the power brokers and all that stuff is great from the standpoint of, listen, the way recruiting has accelerated now, people are getting mad if you, you know, pe people get mad if, I remember a kid telling me last year at this time, you know, in the 22 class, well, I'm going to give them a look, even though they came in late. And I'm like, they came in late. You know, you don't sign for, you know, 10 months. What do you mean they came in late? And so everything, you know, so this will allow tech to identify guys earlier and, and more importantly, get them on campus in the spring, make sure their coaches are, are getting the kids on the phone to call Virginia tech, because obviously you can't call 24s and 25s yet. So I, I think, you know, what you're, what you're asking in terms of what Fuente didn't do, well, Pry's just going to do what he's supposed to do. That's what a coach is supposed to do. That's what a staff should do. You know, looking at, you know, what the, the staff should be doing uh, and looking at the, 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 the landscape of college football recruiting. You know, a couple of years ago, we kind of had this thing somewhat cylindrical and you could figure out the hot periods and the cold periods and then the transfer portal and then COVID shuts everything down. And now, like you said, there's kids that say, oh, well, they came in late because they offered me January of my junior year, you know, and it's kind of. You know, it's ridiculous to hear, but that's that's kind of the way things have gone. But when you look at it through that lens, you can also see Virginia Tech is behind the eight ball. Penn State has come in and rated some of the top players in the state so far. And I don't think that's really indicative of pride. I think it's kind of the nature of the beast that we're living in right now. Uh, can you you expand on that a little bit, how you think Brent Pry might be behind the eight ball a little bit? Yeah, and I know, Evan, you and I had talked about this a few weeks ago. And it, it, so, so here's what happens just so, just so it's fully understood for people out there who, who could be saying, well, wait a minute, he just got the job. This next class doesn't sign for X amount of time, you know, almost a year from the time he gets the job. How can you be behind the eight ball? And so you have to look at how recruiting goes now for the most part for power five programs, your class is pretty much done before you start your season in the fall, right? So you would think for Virginia Tech this coming year, however many they're going to, let's, 
and please don't hold me to this on a message board because it's only, it's more of just a, a you know example. But let's say tech is going to take 20 high school kids in this class. Well, by the time September 1st rolls around, they're going to want 16 or 17 of those kids in the 23 class already committed. And then their game day visits or their visits throughout the season and the junior day that they have in early December are going to be a couple kids that they're trying to get to finish out the class. But for the most part, it's going to be class of 24 and class of 25 prospects, right? So Penn State, for example, while they got most of their class done before their first game, then decided to, you know, like everybody else, got a bunch of kids up on campus um, for games during the season. And they got a bunch up for their big lash bash at the end of July. And so now here we are, and these kids have been to Penn State multiple times. You're talking about whether it's Birchmeyer, Cameron Selden, you know, Matthias Barnwell, who's committed there, Tony Rojas, who Penn State is in a good spot for right now, the linebacker out of Fairfax. So you're, you're looking at guys like that, and, you, say, you know, so Penn State has now built, you know, five, six, seven months of relationships that you now have to catch up with, with Brent Pry. And now he's got to do that with kids that built relationships with Penn state, the kids in the, in North Carolina who have built relationships with, whether it's wake NC state, UNC, you know, whether it's, you know, if they want to go check a kid in South Carolina who who's now built relationships with, whether it's Georgia or South Carolina or, you know, whatever. So, you have to, you really in recruiting now really start digging into a class almost two years before you start, you know, before they can sign. So, so by the time this summer rolls around, you would want not only is tech got, you know, their 23s that they're really looking at, but they're going to have a really strong indication of some 24s that they really want. And the 24s will be the guys who will be juniors this coming fall, right? So Tech will have a huge board of their 24s, and they need to get all those kids on campus in June, July, and then get them to games in the fall. And, and that's why um, recruiting is so sped up that it, it really makes for a difficult situation now when a new coach is brought in to rebuild. I mean, if you're going to come in and rebuild an Ohio State or, or a Blue Blood, it, it's different than, you know, the 90% of the schools that you're going to come in and try to rebuild at the Power 5 level. From the outside looking in, from, from, from your perspective, what do you think the rebuild is for Virginia Tech? How long do you think that process is when you key in on transfer portal and, uh, you know, 22 class, 23 class? Kind of what do you, what do you see just as a, a macro level from the outside? Well, I don't think their talent level is is horrible. Um, I don't think the the ACC, let's put it this way, was not the strongest last year, right? So, so that works in their favor. The transfer portal can help, but it can also, you know, hurt if a kid has a has a huge season and decides, gee, I, I want to go play for Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia. Um, there, there's going to be a little concern there, but you know, the coaching staff should be able to, to keep those kids. But I think the other thing with the portal is you have to look at, and and this is just my, my rule. And it's not like I've done a long study, but just kind of measuring the landscape of things. I feel like 
the transfer portal, when you're bringing kids in, if your hit rate is 50% on those kids, then you've done a really good job, right? Because kids are usually transferring um, for a reason. There's always a reason. Um, and so that's one thing you look at. And then I think, you know, when I look at tech, you have to, it starts at the line of scrimmage, right? But I, And those kids usually take three years to develop, to be honest, to do it in bulk. But I, I, in watching tech, I watch tech a lot. I, I did think that a lot of the issues, or, or to me, and, and not following obviously as close as you guys, but to me, there were a lot of like desire type things. I, I feel like they have, they had some better talent than maybe they showed. So I don't, I don't think it's a long, huge rebuild. Um, you know, I, I live ten minutes from Rutgers, where when Greg Schiano came back, you know, he came back to a program that had lost like 18 in a row in the big 10 and was getting outscored by about 40 a game. And so it's not that kind of rebuild. I think it's realistic to think that in a couple of years, you can go, you know, you can go into training camp thinking, okay, if this breaks right, if this breaks right, do we have a chance for our division title kind of deal? I, I do think, um, I, I don't think they're as far away as, as others do. Looking at the state of Virginia, everyone, you know, the fans, the upper athletic administration, and obviously the coaching staff that they hired are all cued in on reestablishing Virginia Tech as a recruiting force in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You mentioned Penn State earlier. I think you can point to North Carolina, you know, bringing in three of the top four recruits in the 2022 class, I believe five of the top eight. Who are the top threats to Virginia Tech on the recruiting trail outside of of those two and all inclusively looking at all these teams that Virginia Tech's competing against what should Virginia Tech's pitch be not only to come to Blacksburg but why they're a better fit than the alternatives yeah I mean sometimes they're not going to be the better fit just based on individuals or styles or whatever um you know and, and I think it's really easy to sit there and say well Penn State's come in and done this I mean you know, Alabama came in and got Sean Murphy out of a school that, you know, Virginia Tech had had some success at in the past. And it's also, you also have to be careful in terms of, well, Virginia Tech, and, and I know I talked about before what they did at 757 with relationships. Listen, recruiting's different now than it was 10 years ago or eight years ago. And the best players, and, and I'm not even talking about NIL stuff. I'm talking about you're seeing more and more the best players are going to just a few programs. And is it going to be, you know, is it is it realistic to think that Virginia Tech can get the top five players in the state of Virginia? I, I don't think I don't think that's realistic. I don't think um, it's possible just because kids now want to go, you know, when you tell kids about the, when they mention the SEC, it's just different for these kids. And I'm not saying they're right or they're wrong. I'm just telling you it's different. And so what Virginia Tech has to do is go find some really good players, develop them, and then see where it takes you and, and kind of slow build it that way, just in terms of rebuilding your recruiting reputation in the state and making sure, hey, you know, 
the best players can go to tech, they can develop, and here's what they can do after graduation, or here's what we can do, or we're going to make you better. That's the stuff that's important. Um, you know, getting Alex Birchmeyer, the offensive lineman who's committed to uh, Penn State, I mean, I don't care. He, I don't see that he was ever going there. Just like Gunnar Givens, I mean, I'm I'm glad for Brent Pry that he kept Gunnar Givens, but something had to go wrong for Gunnar Givens not to wind up at Tech. Like I told Evan this when it happened, I thought when Fuente got fired or whatever, what however it was phrased, I thought that helped Virginia Tech keep Gunnar Givens because it was a Tech family who who always wanted to go there, and so. It's really, I guess my point is, it's really easy in recruiting to sit there and make general statements about how does this happen or how does that happen. I just know this. There's enough good players in the state of Virginia to build a base at Virginia Tech. And it doesn't mean you have to get the number one or the number two player. But when you sit down at the end of the day and you say, okay, here's the top 15 players in the state. If you can get five or six of them, you're going to be in good shape in the long run. Here's another thing just to add on to something that, that Brian said that I think is interesting and maybe might be overlooked. I think there's a, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a, a, a stigma, maybe just a thought process uh, in, in the Virginia Tech fan base, or at least on the message boards that we've seen. You know, when you talk about recruiting and you talk about Virginia Tech and, and you know, what you see and Lane Stadium and, you know, you think about Michael Vick, you think about Tyrod Taylor, you think about uh, the national championship game and, and Frank Beamer and all of that. You look at Virginia Tech's, you know, win loss over the last 18 years. These the current recruits, let's say they're 17 years old now. They were like seven years old the last time that Virginia Tech had back to back 10 plus win seasons. After that, it was, you know, seven, eight, seven, seven. They had one 10 win season in 2016. And then it just kept going downhill from there. So you want to think like recently, a lot of recruits haven't seen Virginia Tech be good. Historically, 17, 18, 16 year old kids haven't seen Virginia Tech be very good either. I think that's, you know, a little a little bit that is lost when you think about, you know, Virginia Tech and what they've done in their history. And I think they've had a great uh, a great run. And I think. You know, Frank Beamer built them from nothing. And I think they can be a very formidable program again. But when you look at that and compare it to, you know, keep kids in the state of Virginia having an opportunity to go to Ohio State, go to Alabama, go to Clemson, where there's a lot of uh, more recent history. Guys, they've teams they've seen play on, uh, you know, in the New Year, New Year Six Bowls, teams they've seen play for conference championships. I think all of that kind of ties in as well. There are guys like Gunnar Givens that grew up, you know, lifelong Virginia Tech fans and, and want to be Hokies regardless. But there's a lot that say, you know, I like Lane Stadium. I like the facilities, but, but you know, I don't want to go. I don't know that I want to go somewhere and, and play for a team that's only winning five or six games a year. And I think that plays into it a little bit as well. No, no, I think, I think that's a great point. And because, you know, kids want to go play at a place where they, you know, A, every kid thinks they're going to the NFL, and B, every kid wants to go to a place where they think they have a chance to win a championship. And I go back to when I covered UCLA in the mid-2000s, 
And they were good, man. I mean, I, I covered basketball when they went to three straight Final Fours. And I remember leading into that, you know, how come Ben Hallen couldn't recruit? We're UCLA. We won all these national championships under John Wooden. And it's like, wait, I mean, you, you won a title like in the early 80s and you didn't win one for the next 20 years. These kids don't know that stuff. They, they see what's on now. And at the time they're watching, you know, at the time Memphis was good, Kansas was good. And, and, and so it's exactly what you're saying. I mean, listen, I've been to Lane Stadium for games. It's absolutely electric. So is Clemson. Clemson's unbelievable. And so Clemson's been good. And so if these kids are sitting there on a Saturday going, all right, do I want to go watch a game at Lane Stadium with, you know, five and three Virginia Tech playing whomever, or go down to Clemson? Oh, they're going to Clemson. And that's kind of, but that's why you have to build these relationships over time. So these kids want to come to your place because they like you as coaches, not because they like the environment. I kind of want to take a look at Virginia Tech's division, their immediate competition, the ACC Coastal, you know, a division that is notorious for the chaos that ensues seven different championships in seven years prior to this year. And it seems like the entire division has gotten a facelift. I mean, Mario Cristobal's in at Miami. You have Mike Elko at Duke, Tony Elliott at Virginia, obviously Brent Pry. Uh, I mean, Pat Narduzzi loses his offensive coordinator, some changes on Mac Brown's coaching staff at North Carolina. What do you think of the reshaping of the individual programs and who do you think is positioned best? Well, I, I think it tells you there's been a lot of bad football played in that division with all the coaching changes and a lot of people searching for answers. Um, I, I, to, who's positioned best? I mean, I don't know, Miami, because they're surrounded by more talent than anybody else in the division. And so it's easy to get them on campus. You tell people, hey, we're going to go to Coral Gables. It's great. And Evan talked about, you know, the family may not, you know, the kid may not understand that Virginia Tech was good during the Vic days or whatever. Um, and they may not understand what the U used to be, but they can watch a 30 for 30 on the U and understand what it used to be. And their parents can tell them what the U used to be because they all know if they were college football fans. So yeah, Miami by default should be it because a, they hired a coach who's been a proven recruiter at the power five level. B, they have an unbelievable amount of talent in South Florida to where on a Monday you can call a kid and go, Hey, you want to come to campus tomorrow? And it's like, yeah, okay, we're, we're there. And you can do that time and again. So they're positioned best, but it doesn't mean they're going to thrive and have success. I mean, nobody, we can sit here and talk all we want about whether Brent Pry is the right pick or what he's going to do there. But I mean, We'll know in about four years. It's also got to be easy just just to say South Beach. I mean, that's the unwritten one right well, there. Well, listen, hang out in South Beach. Well, it's that, but I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to that campus, Evan. But and and here's one thing that people really, the masses do not understand. Miami is a really good school, like. It's not just some football factory that won championships. It is a really good academic school. And so kids like it because 
you know, South Florida. The campus is gorgeous in Coral Gables. You're right near South Beach. Parents like it because of the academics. I mean, there's a lot going on there that, I mean, you could talk about tech not doing well, that, that Miami hasn't been relevant in the amount of time, you know, when the last time they were relevant is one of the most staggering things that you'll come across and really speaks to their lack of ability to hire the right coach. Right before we wrap up here, our listeners definitely queued in on the class of 2023 from Virginia Tech. You're the man to talk to. You're evaluating the talent in the area. Who are some names that you like Virginia Tech to land? Who are the the top-tier guys that you think the Hokies really have a chance at? I mean, (laughs) that's going to wash out um, a little later on from this standpoint. We're going to see a lot of these kids on the camp setting and really see where they are in a couple, you know, in two months, in the next two to three months. You're going to see who else Virginia Tech can get on campus. You're going to see who Virginia Tech is doing well with. I mean, can I sit here and and give you names? Yeah, but I mean, it's just, you know, it depends on whether Tech is going to take a kid in some instances. In some, you know what I mean? I mean, there's going to be kids that pop up that you're going to be like, man, I didn't know about him very much. So, I mean, if we sit here and we start talking about, you know, can you take Ike Daniels? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they could get Ike Daniels pretty soon if they if they want to push for him. But then the question becomes, is that what they want to do? I mean, there's just so much that has to wash out. And then the other part is because they spent so much time on the 22 class, they're, I don't want to say playing. I mean, I guess they are playing catch up to some regards, but they're not, I, I don't see them being in a situation where they can just turn around and go, okay, this is who we want to take right now. I, I think a lot of that stuff is, is still getting talked about. Um, and it's going to get talked about. What are we mid February right now? I mean, this stuff is stuff that should start heating up mid mid March. Once you see some guys to come back on campus, I, I don't I don't sit here right now. I mean, listen, if Cameron Selden wants to come, I'm sure they'll figure out a way to get him to campus and and commit and all that stuff. But I, I don't view it as something that you know you can sit there and say, well, this kid's going here, this kid's going there, and 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 I'm always transparent about this on message boards. If I could sit here and name five kids that I thought were going to wind up at Virginia Tech, I would have already put crystal ball picks in for them. Evan, any final thoughts before we wrap things up? No, I think I'm, I'm kind of in unison. I think I've only put in two crystal balls for Virginia Tech this early. I think, like I said a few weeks ago in Teradome, after signing period in February, it gets really slow. Kind of sucks, you know, in a lot lot of different uh, situations. But I think things are going to heat up. I got the same timeline that Brian has. I think um, middle of March is probably when you start to see some things pop. Then you start to see some other guys maybe in the early spring. And then maybe Virginia Tech gets back to those days where they have four or five, maybe six. I think one time they had like eight or nine kids commit during the spring game. So, you know, I think right now, Brent Price taking the approach of, you know, looking what's in that six-hour drivable radius, offering the right kids and building relationships. I don't think, uh, you know, just reiterating it, I don't think Virginia Tech is to the point where they're going to rush 
to try and take uh, some commitments right now. I think you, you let it play out. I think you uh, build some relationships and see what you can get your board to look like here in the next two to three months. Well, and, and Evan, just, just to jump in and follow on that, A, you know, the days of eight commitments in a day, I don't know if we're going to see that anymore because now everybody wants their own minute to celebrate for themselves, which is fine. But then the other part of it is I, I, I think there's probably a big part of Brent Pry and his staff who want to get through a spring practice and really see what they have to know who they need to really start targeting and really push for once that evaluation period opens up in mid-April in the spring. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think uh, I think you'll also see that on the transfer portal. They went out and got a couple quarterbacks, got a couple receivers, guys you know they needed to to get. But right now it's kind of the numbers game and actually evaluating what you have. It's great to see them working out at 5 a.m., but you don't really even know what you have until you at least get some pads on, maybe get three or four days on the job uh, out there on the practice field. So, yeah, I'm with you. I know a lot of fans are itching, wanting to see some commitments could jump on the list, but I think you, you have to take your time and be a little bit selective right now uh, before you can just start taking kids to take them. And, and these kids want to go visit a bunch of places. Because don't forget, even though they were able to visit in the fall and even June and July last year, they still did not get out to a bunch of places last spring and they did not get the love that usually you would get with underclassmen because there was so much focus on 22s last June and July. True that. Well, gentlemen, what a great well-rounded conversation we've had. Evan, as always, thanks for having me on. Brian, thank you so much. Where could our listeners get more great content from you? Uh, VT Scoop, man. Anytime, anytime you need something, just drop a line on there and Evan will ping me or I'll jump on. I'm on the board every day, even if I'm not commenting, I'm on there reading stuff too. So they could always get there. And if I wasn't so old, I'd probably know my Twitter handle, which is I think is Brian Doan two four seven. But you know, they could find me pretty easy on VT Scoop. All right. Well, I'm throwing you a follow right away, Brian. Thanks for joining us, Evan. Enjoy your vacation, brother. We'll be back here soon with more content. As always, thanks for listening to Inside the Tunnel with VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. Enjoy your week, enjoy your weekend, and as always, go Hokies. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town. And they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd. Exclusively on Paramount+.